unchartered territory of India, an area that is not welcoming to the, to the message of Jesus Christ. The team is assembled, and the team is prepared to go and start that work of carrying the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Many of you heard during the fall Philip time when James was here, and he described the area that they're about to uh, in, encounter. It's an area where there is a tremendous amount of abuse of alcohol, there's abuse of people, there's abject poverty, and there's a plethora of gods that are worshipped there, but not our God, not Jesus. And so this is a dangerous outing that's about to occur. Our church has agreed as a body that we would support those 30 pairs as they embark on this. We do it for a cost of $150 a month. It's $1,800 a year per team. And there are two ways that we're covering that. One is that your contributions here at the church go towards the general budget at Rimrock. And from that, we support half of the cost of this agreement for the next five years. The remaining half of that comes from individuals and groups that support it. We have individuals that have made a commitment, families have made a commitment, and we also have small groups that have made a commitment to support a team or to make a pledge of that 150 a month. Beth and I, as well as many of you, have actually asked if we could get a picture of the pair that we're gonna sponsor. Because with so many of these organizations, you get a picture or you have direct correspondence with the person that you're, that you're supporting. In this case, we're asked not to have that personal information. The reason, the, the reason for it is it's literally dangerous for them to tell us who the person is and show us a picture for fear that somebody in India could see that and actually persecute that individual. That's the danger that's at hand. And so we're asked in humility to make the pledge of support and to come alongside of them not only financially, but in prayer and fellowship without knowing exactly who that person is. And we take the word of Abi, who is here, testified, and also his brother-in-law, James, who is in direct connection with them. What I'd ask you to do is to consider if it was your son or daughter, or if it was your brother or sister, or if it was your grandson or granddaughter, and they announced at Christmas or they announced at a gathering, that they had made the decision that they felt called by God to go to an area where to mention Jesus Christ and to, to discuss Jesus may very well put their life at risk. What concerns would you have for your family member? I think we think in terms of safety, we think in terms of food, we think in terms of fellowship, that God would give them wisdom that God would give them strength and perseverance, all that they would be the ones that could convey that message. And it's a simple message. It's the name Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel that comes with that. So today, what we're asking you to do is to come alongside that team of 30 from a long distance and to pray with as a body for them. Two weeks ago, they had a commissioning, so they've had their prayer time. It's now our time to do that. And so what I would do is I'd ask you to stand up with me this morning, 
And I would ask you to consider the things that, again, if it was your family member, to put a face on this couple, on this team. Think of a family member you love and what you would ask God to do if they were on that mission field. And we'll lift that up to our Lord. We'll just be quiet and have some prayer for just a moment. Heavenly Father, you hear the requests of your people. You know the heart of those that are asking for protection for our fellows in India as they embark on this mission field to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, the saving grace of our Lord and Savior. Father, hear our prayers, lift them up in a bundle, take them to India and allow that team, allow those teams to sense our fellowship with them and our support of them. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of the mission field from such a distance. And give each of us the courage, Father, to carry that message of Jesus Christ right here in Rapid City where we live and work. All that glory would come to Jesus around the globe. It's in your name we pray. Amen. tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are nothing worth more there's nothing worth more that will ever come close no thing can compare you're our living hope. your presence Lord. let's sing these words to the Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. 
tells us that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We just want to sing and we want to celebrate today one of our favorite songs here at Rimrock, Sing to the King. Ready? Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory
sing verse 2 again. But at the end, I want everyone to give a big shout out when we sing for Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. Because who is king? Jesus. All right, here we go. For his returning, we watch and we pray. We will be ready the dawn of that day. We'll join in singing with hunger. All right, here we go. For Satan. King of kings, Lord of lords. Father, we do want to just thank you for this time, God, that we can come and we can worship you, and God, we can rejoice in who you are. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you. And Lord, now we want to just pray as Pastor Ben comes, and, and God, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds for what it is that you want to say to us today, and, and God, that you would just surround him with your with your army, God, of heavenly angels, that, um, Lord, he would be protected from the enemy this morning as he brings your truth to us. We just lift, lift that, and God, just thank you. We pray this in your precious son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for bringing us. What a, what a joy to be together here this morning. Thank you for for coming to worship. It's sweet to, to be in the presence of God together this morning. And thank you, Chris, for uh, sharing about the ministry in India. And I, I got to tell you, I was super excited when I heard what Rimrock was part of in India. I, I've, I've known AB for some years and, and to see what God is doing. And, and we, we need to stay committed to praying because, as uh, Chris said, these uh, servants of God are putting their lives in the line because they believe Jesus is king. <laughs> so what we just saying, they believe like we believe. And in Acts, you know, there's no ending. The book of Acts is continuing. We are God's plan through the Holy Spirit in us to share the name of Jesus with every person. And as we saying, uh, before God's throne, there will be every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping Jesus. <laughs> what a day. But until that day, we have a job, and we are going to commit to praying and giving our money and our resources and, and, and being part of what God is doing in our world. Amen? All right. So this morning, as we come to God's Word, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your Word and what it speaks to us. And this morning, we are hungry for you hungry that, God, you would speak to us. And Lord, we ask that uh, every ear, every eye would be opened to know you, Jesus, as the Word. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though through him all things were made, the world did not recognize him. Though he came to his very own, his own did not receive him. Yet, to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise God for the word. This morning, as we continue in our series of the seven signs of the kingdom through the gospel of John, we're going to be looking at a second sign that Jesus did in John 4. But before we read that together, I think many of you uh, are parents, I I know some of you uh, have young children, some have grown children. Maybe some of you don't have children, but you have nieces or nephews or friends who, whose kids you would consider your very own. And so this story is about a, a desperate father. And many of us can relate, right, to our children and how precious their lives are. I remember after my first son was born, that amazing moment when he came into the world, and, and then when my uh, second son was coming when my wife was pregnant I thought how can I love my second son as much as my first <laughs> and it was amazing that at his birth it was like God did surgery and opened my heart and another compartment of love was there that I didn't even realize and I think of my friends who have seven eight nine or more kids and I think wow how does how does God give them that much love it's amazing but we all know the feeling and the sense when we think our children's lives are in danger I remember a few years ago, my middle son, we were at the lake in Minnesota, and he fell into the water, and that moment of panic as he disappeared under the water, and we've, we've experienced that, right, to the preciousness of the lives of our kids, and this morning as we go to John 4, I want you to be thinking about those experiences. Would you turn to John chapter 4, verse 43, and I would ask that you would stand as we read the Word of God together this morning. John chapter 4, verse 43. It will be on the screens as well. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, and they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned water into wine. That's where we were last week. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see us signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. 
And the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. You may be seated. There's a lot going on here in this story, including some very surprising things. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus is always doing surprising things, but it still kind of strikes and, and shocks when we dig into this story. And so I want to look at some of these things with you this morning as we look at what God wants to teach us about who He is. Now, it's really important we realize that Jesus, who had been in the southern part of Israel, in Jerusalem, now was heading north to Galilee. And Galilee was his home area, his home state, his hometown. This is the place where he grew up. This is the place where people knew him and his family. And so Jesus is headed back there, but on the way, he goes through Samaria. And we know the story, right, where Jesus is sitting at a well and a woman is there getting water and Jesus begins to dialogue with her and pretty soon the disciples find Jesus and this woman and she, although she had a, 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 not a good reputation, she heard the message of Jesus. She encountered eternal life. She encountered the good news that Jesus came to save and she believed and she was so excited about it she couldn't keep it in. <laughs> so she ran to her village and she told the whole town, Jesus told me everything that has that I, about me. He knows me. He loves me. He accepted me. He saved me. Can you too come to know him? And so it says at the end of chapter uh, there right before the story that many people believed in Jesus in Samaria. And so Jesus was just coming from that experience, and now he was coming into Galilee. But there's something surprising that happens. In verse 44, Jesus notes that a prophet has no honor in his own country. I think this is referring to what John already recognized at the very beginning, chapter 1, that Jesus came to his very own, but his own did not receive him. And so Jesus recognizes that, even as the prophet Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah would come, that he would be rejected, that many people would not receive him. And so here we see that, but there's something surprising here. Even though Jesus notes that they are not honoring him or receiving him, it says they welcomed him. And so that begs a question, what's going on? Why are they welcoming him but not receiving him? What's going on? Well, we're going to dive deeper into that, but I think, just as an initial observation, that there's a familiarity with Jesus that's dangerous in the sense that they were interested in who he was, and they were interested in, 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 his, in the things he could do, but there was not a true interest in who God had called him to be as the Word of God. I have a friend who I worked with for many years as a worship pastor, and he had a quote that stuck in my mind. He would always say, when we seek God, that we should seek his face before we seek his hands. And I'm wondering if that's partly what's going on here, that people are interested in what Jesus can do and less interested in who he is. And so, here we have this interesting situation, Jesus coming back home. In verse 47, as he's coming, there's a man who hears about his coming. He's a royal official. We don't even know his name, but here he comes and he's begging Jesus to heal his son, the desperate father. 
And we don't know a lot about this man. We know he's a royal official. I'm assuming he's Jewish, and I'm assuming he must work for Herod, who was kind of the, the governor of that area, was not a, a very popular guy, was a very cruel and greedy person, but this man, even though he had high position, was willing to come and find Jesus and beg him to heal his son. Desperation. But isn't it interesting, as he comes and he's begging Jesus, in verse 48, Jesus responds differently. <laughs> Instead of responding to this man's desperation, he is addressing a bigger issue. There's something greater happening here that Jesus wants to make note of and get our attention with. So let's not miss it. Because in verse 48, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Jesus is addressing a problem. Like I referred to earlier, the people welcomed Jesus, but they didn't believe in him. And there's two things I think that are going on here. I think one, there's probably spiritual pride. Pride is our greatest greatest struggle as human beings from the very beginning we have opposed God with our with our pride thinking that we don't need God or we could do it on our own and there must be a spiritual pride here that is arising out of maybe a sense that we don't really need Jesus we just want some things that he could do for us there's a verse that's woven throughout the entire story of the Bible that 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 grips my heart it's it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And here we see Jesus as he encounters spiritual pride, as he begins to correct and, and to go against that pride. But the second thing I think that's going on here is there's a familiarity with Jesus that's dangerous because it's a familiarity, but not a true knowledge of who he is. Now, I grew up in church and, and maybe some of you have as well and there's something dangerous to that in the sense that we can hear the Bible stories we can know a lot about God we can know all the facts about the Bible but in that we can become so familiar so comfortable that we can miss out on who God truly is that's dangerous and I think that's what's happening here and again this is his hometown and so there's probably a, a sense of pride here that hey this is Jesus and he's getting famous around the world, around the known world there, and yet they didn't really know who he was. They assumed. And we do this. We get this on a human level, don't we? You guys, uh, many times when you introduce yourself or you meet someone new, a lot of times <clears throat> they ask, what, what do you do? And so you tell them your, your occupation or a job that you do, or you tell them where you're from. And, and a lot of times when you do that, people kind of immediately put you in a box, right? So when I meet people, I tell them I'm a pastor, and immediately they have an idea of, of what a pastor is or isn't. And, and, or I tell them where I'm from, and they have all these assumptions. One of my favorite things is when I meet a Latino person, and uh, immediately they put me in a category, right? And then as I begin to talk to them in Spanish, their faces literally change in front of me <laughs> as they realize, whoa, he knows my culture. He knows my people, my language. And so all of a sudden, all those assumptions fall aside. But we do that, don't we? And it's not very loving because we tend to judge each other on the outside. But isn't it good news that God cares more about our hearts because he really wants to know who we are? 
as people because he made us and he loves us that way and isn't it our greatest desire to be known and to be known by God is a beautiful thing and isn't it the greatest to know that God loves us for who we are and that's what God's most concerned for he's concerned for our hearts and who we really are but the reality here and the reality for us is we can do the same thing to God just like we put each other in boxes or think we know about someone when we don't really know them we can do that with God as well and that's very dangerous that familiarity that pride that can say you know I know all the facts about God and not really seek to know his heart not seek to know who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ well the beautiful news is God wants a relationship with us <laughs> he wants to know us and he wants us to know him he wants us to know his heart of love and grace and truth for our worlds and for ourselves. It's beautiful. Yet, there's this barrier, right? And Jesus confronts that barrier. But there's something amazing that's happening here. Jesus is amazing in that he doesn't just leave the situation as it is. He goes into the middle of it and changes it by his grace. And we see that in verse 49, the royal official begs again. He says, sir, come before my child dies. Now, I want to I wanna note something here. This man doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus. This man doesn't necessarily even, isn't even seeking Jesus for the right reasons, but he's desperate. He's humble. He's asking for help. And Jesus responds, go your son will live. Aren't those the sweetest words a father could hear or mother to hear about your child? Your son will live. Now, one of the great dangers as we talk about healing and one of the great lies of Satan is that somehow we can produce enough faith to create a miracle. That's, that's a lie. That's against what the scripture teaches. Look at the situation. This man did not have faith. Jesus spoke faith into being. Romans tell, uh, tells us that faith comes through hearing. God is the great initiator. God creates faith in our hearts. And that's what's happening here. This man doesn't believe. The crowd doesn't believe. But Jesus enters that situation and he speaks life and faith into that father's heart. Isn't that powerful? And that's what Jesus is doing into our hearts. He speaks faith into our hearts. You see, faith is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. It's not something we produce or create in our own strength. It's something that God gives us. He blesses us with faith. And it's a gift of grace. And as we talk about healing, there can be a lot of different ideas, but I just want to share a couple stories to help us understand, I think, what Jesus is doing here. Just a few weeks before I moved here, uh, I was playing basketball with a good friend and we were running up and down the court and, and I was barely keeping up with him. He's older than me, but he's fast and he's super athletic. But a couple years ago, the doctors gave him only weeks to live because he had an aggressive form of cancer and he had already brought his family around him and he was saying his goodbyes and he was ready to go and be with Jesus. He was at that point. But in the middle of the night, uh, a junior high girl who he had taught, he taught for many, many years and still teaches the junior high class in the church there, 
And in the middle of the night, she woke up and she had a dream. And she heard God say, Jay is going to live. And at the same time, two other people were also receiving that message from God. And within that period when he was told that he was only going to live for a few more weeks, something amazing happened. <laughs> the cancer began to disappear out of his body and his, his health reversed course. And he began to get strength and recover. And today, he is fully healthy and living. And the doctors say, it's a miracle. God heals. Jesus heals. He's a healer. But let's not miss the point. And Jay, as he speaks about this, always points out that God's purpose in that is not just to heal him physically, but to point to God's glory and his sufficiency and his grace. Just this week, I heard a message by Johnny Erickson Tata, and some of you have heard of her name. And as I shared last week about the pastor who was so full of joy, and when I'm around Johnny, Johnny I've been around her a few times where she's spoken she radiates joy, but she was paralyzed as a teenager and has been unable to walk or move her arms or do many of the things that we take for granted. She's been in a wheelchair for a long time, and God hasn't chosen to heal her, but she, I want to read out of a, a book she wrote, A Place of Healing. She says, through all the years of my perilous, per, being paralyzed, I have longed, yearned, ached, wept, and prayed that God would heal my broken body. After 40 plus years in my wheelchair, however, I had settled to the realization that in his love, sovereignty, and far-reaching, perfect, but incomprehensible plan, that he has chosen to gently but firmly say, no, child, not now, not yet. But as a result, thoughts of ultimate healing in heaven have frequently become my focus, my passion, my dream, my meditation, and my song. Healing will come. Do we believe that? <laughs> healing will come for all of us. And it won't be a halfway job. Restoration to physical wholeness, and this is, this is the part I wouldn't really hold on to because I see Johnny live this out, will only be the tiniest fraction of his good plan and purpose for me. God loves us. He has a purpose and a plan. And in this situation that we see Jesus with his father and child, his plan and his purpose was bigger than just this child. His plan and his purpose is bigger than just us. God is restoring. Jesus is physical and spiritual life. And if you've ever heard Johnny speak, she talks about her love for Jesus and how much Jesus loves her and the joy and the peace and the love and the patience that God has given her that flows through her and brings blessing to so many people. Jesus is physical and spiritual life. In verses 53 to 54, we see this father encounter Jesus as life. There's two things that I want to recognize in this. One is God's grace. Grace. The apostle Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. He had a, a physical ailment that God didn't heal him of, but he said, God, your grace is sufficient. In spite of unbelief, this father received the life of a son. It says he did not believe until after it was done. <laughs> So this man didn't even believe in Jesus fully until after the miracle happened. Yet, God gave the gift. God gave the gift. Isn't that amazing? God's grace. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. And the second thing I want to observe is the power. Jesus has power to speak life and healing. It says in John 1 that through him all things were made. This morning I was walking down by that stream and I looked up at that hill and I thought, 
God had power to speak this beauty into being. (laughs) And he has power to heal, and he has power to give us life, and he has power through his word to speak faith into our hearts. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) He has power to do it. And that's why this morning as we worship, we think and we meditate on this fact that God is grace, that he has power. As the worship team comes up to close our time here, I want to read a quote from uh, a pastor who's had a huge influence on me. He lived even before I was born, but Andrew Murray was a, a South African pastor. But he says, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Don't we see that in this father who comes to Jesus? And then he says, here's the path to the higher life. Down, lower down, just as water always seeks and fills the lowest place. So the moment that God finds, finds men abased and empty, his glory and his power flow in to exalt and to bless. Amen. Jesus is that word that gives us You hold my every moment You calm my raging seas You walk with me through fire And heal all my disease I trust in you I trust in you. I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. And I believe you're my portion. more than enough for me Jesus you're all I need you hold my every moment you calm my raging seas you walk with me trust in you I trust in you and I believe you're my healer I believe you are all I need and I Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible.
Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible for you. You hold my world in your hands, and I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. And I believe you're my portion. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, you're all I need. Sing, I believe. And I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. And I believe you're my portion. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. Amen. Hallelujah. And thank you, Jesus. Have a great week.